All right, very good. Well, we want to today continue in our study of Daniel, and we are in the sixth chapter, and there's just a few things we're going to point to today. Uh, in our Tuesday night Chavurah group and Wednesday morning men's Chavurah group, we're also in Daniel, but I, you know, I thought at the beginning, uh, this will be great because what we do on Shabbat, then we'll uh, talk about the, you know, in the Bible study, but uh, like many great things, I, it got out of sync. So like, uh, I have to remind myself, on Wednesdays we're in chapter 9, on Tuesdays we're in chapter 8, and uh, in the message we're in chapter 6. But we're all about Daniel right now. Uh, and, uh, and really it is uh, very good, because what Daniel is really all about is something very relevant to, to us. Uh, the first six chapters of Daniel are these anecdotal stories of victory, uh, you know, in a foreign land, uh, um, in, a, in, a, with, in, in foreign powers. But what each of those chapters show us is that even though the, uh, the Alam Haba, or the kingdom of God, has not literally manifested itself in this world, yet still, and even before the Messiah came, even then, God uh, uh, is still king. He's Daniel's king. He's Daniel's friend's king. He is the king. And in each chapter, God shows himself to be more powerful than the great king Nebuchadnezzar or Darius or, any, uh, or Belshazzar, uh, any of the uh, kings of Babylon or Persia, uh, that God truly is victorious. And that is certainly a great lesson that we need uh, to understand today, because of course the Messiah has come, and yes, he is indeed the king, but we still live in a world of uh, uh, foreign powers and, and, uh, and other kingdoms and and uh, I guess I, I, I could say this now, even though I'll say it again, because my guess is, is that you might not remember. But, you know, when we get to chapter 7, when we get to chapter 7, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, what's the difference in the description of the kingdoms in Daniel's vision and in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? What's the difference? Why? You know, it's basically you have these kingdoms. What's the difference? Well, if you remember that in uh, Daniel chapter 2, they, uh, from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, from his point of view, so to speak, it's this gorgeous statue. The kingdoms represent this, you know, beautiful uh, edifice, so to speak, this beautiful statue. And if you remember Nebuchadnezzar, I am the head of gold, right? right? When Daniel has uh, a vision of these kingdoms, I, I, he sees them very differently. And sadly, we oftentimes are trying to figure out every little tiny thing and find symbolism for it rather than looking at the big picture and recognize that, you know, when you think about an animal with a variety of heads and lots of horns, it's hideous. It's grotesque. They're called beasts, even. And from the point of view of Daniel, from the point of view of his vision, these world kingdoms are not beautiful, are not made of precious stones. They're hideous. They're beasts. See? Because he sees them for what they really are. Ungodly empires. And you see, ultimately, 
we see in, well, as we'll see in the seventh chapter, of course, that the kingdom of God comes and defeats these hideous, beastly empires. Daniel is living in the midst of it. We also live in the midst of it. And important lessons for us to learn is how do you negotiate life in the midst of worldly empires, no matter what they are or what they may be. As Messiah followers, we're always different, right? We're always different. Sometimes we experience that in our own lives, like in our neighborhood or, or in school or at work. You know, we're always like the odd person out. You know, we, we don't resonate with exactly the, we don't, we don't walk by the same beat or whatever that is, or whatever, you know what I'm trying to say, <laughs> right? Beat, beat by the same drum, I don't know, whatever that is. But uh, whatever that is, we don't do it, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so we're always a little bit different. We're always like on the margins. And of course, that's how Yeshua was uh, as well. If we don't experience it at home or if we don't experience it at school or at work, we simply experience it by observing the culture around us. We're always a little bit different. And so Daniel also, because he has a different king. See, he has a different king. And so now in the sixth chapter of Daniel, let's look at just at the beginning of it today. It says uh, here, it seemed good to Darius. Now, by the way, this is now taking place in uh, the Persian Empire. Okay, so Daniel's kind of old at this time. It's important to know. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So Daniel is rising. He's a fast rising star, even though he's older, interestingly enough. Uh, and uh, there's something different about him. There's something different about him. Then the commissioners and the satraps began began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was uh, to be found in him. And so certainly there is a, uh, a great lesson to be learned there, right? That as an image bearer of God, that's what Daniel was even before Yeshua came, he was an image bearer of God, that uh, he uh, had a testimony, not only in the fact that he like, knew the Bible, but that in his job, there was no corruption. No one could point a finger at him. And what a lesson that is for us, wherever we may work. We need to be a good testimony where we work and in our neighborhoods, you know, and in the, in the, in the public, one might say, that no one... I, I can point a finger at us I, in those, uh, you know, in, in what we do. That's, it's interesting because when Paul is talking to Timothy, the qualifications ab about leadership include be above reproach. That's what above reproach is. That there's nothing that people can, can look at you and say, oh, look what you did. And then it becomes uh, a blot, so to speak, on uh, all who follow Messiah. And haven't we seen that kind of thing plenty, uh, you know, in our lifetimes? 
that yes, one, it's okay, yes, it's one person. Okay, you don't judge uh, you know, the truth of God by that one individual. Well, sadly, uh, uh, it does become, uh, it, does, uh, it does tarnish the reputation of all. So very important that uh, we really do our best in, in every endeavor. So then we see, okay, they couldn't, figure, they couldn't find a way to get him at work, right? He didn't show up late or he didn't like uh, steal postage stamps or, you know, there was nothing that they could uh, pin on Daniel. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Aha, uh-huh, okay. So interesting that they knew that Daniel was a Jewish man and they knew that he was devoted to the law of his God. Okay, And, uh, and so now they're going to try to manipulate the situation because this is the only area that we can get him. All right. And sadly, that certainly can happen in our world as well. Then these uh, commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king might establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Now, this is very interesting. When you read this carefully, what they are conspiring to do and what they're not conspiring to do. So we see, so uh, all of these leaders, they consult together to get Daniel, right? So uh, they want the king, they're going to convince the king to establish a law that says that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides the king for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. They're not... The law does not say you have to worship the king as a god. It's very important. You don't have to call him a god. You don't have to bow down to him. That's not what this is about. Basically, in plain English, what this law is, nobody can pray to, another, to, to a god uh, outside of uh, or, or you know, appeal to a god other than the king. Now, there's a question as to whether the king was understood as a god because it does say to any god or man beside you. So basically, think about this. All Daniel would have to do is not pray for a month. That's all he'd have to do. He does not have to, he does not have to bow to this king. He does not have to pledge allegiance to Darius. All that he would have to do is refrain from praying. For 30 days. Okay? That's what it says. All right. So we see now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Once that's made, it's made. Right? You may remember that from the book of Esther uh, as well. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house 
Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had done previously. (laughs) So Daniel knows of this law. And his reaction is to pray. Okay? And so we might think, well, you know, uh, Daniel, he had several different um, options here. He could just not pray, or he could just pray in a way that uh, nobody would know you're praying, right? Just sort of like thinking in your head kind of thing, right? He also had another option, I suppose. I mean, this is really anachronistic. Is that the word maybe? But, you know, he could have gotten a bunch of people together uh, to protest uh, the, uh, the rule, okay? Uh, you know, placards and signs and, and all that. And, 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 or he could have maybe even secretly appealed to the king, and said, King, look, I know you really like me, but this, this I have to do. And so I highly encourage you not to, you know, not to do this. Or could you, just like in Esther's case, could you make another law that says that I can pray to my God? He doesn't do any of that. He immediately appeals to God. All right? We don't see him in cold sweats all night, um, worried about what's going to happen. No. He appeals to God. He brings the entire matter before God, which is ironic because that's what the issue is, right? Now, you know, you can't get past this passage without observing his, uh, how he prays, right? Of course, sort of jumps out here for us, most definitely. So he goes up uh, to his roof chamber because his windows open toward Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? And uh, probably the origin of that, I mean, no one knows exactly, but this is very interesting because of how old this is, okay? That it could be from Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8 uh, about uh, remembering that, you know, to, for people to uh, confess their sins and remember uh, you know, the temple in Jerusalem, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, Daniel prays toward Jerusalem. And that is a custom to this very day, to pray toward Jerusalem, or toward uh, the uh, Torah, or toward Jerusalem, okay? Uh, And then it says, three times a day. Uh, Now, we might uh, uh, think to ourselves, why uh, three times a day? Is it just uh, you know, something um, uh, interesting? No. Uh, and this also, uh, to this day, uh, is uh, the custom among uh, certainly traditional or orthodox Jewish people in that the uh, times of prayer reflects the times of daily offerings. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and so it's interesting because the Babylonian captivity, this time period, think about it, there was no temple. There was no temple. Just like today, there is no temple. Daniel was living outside the land, just like today. Most Jewish people uh, live outside of uh, the land. And so the prayer times are commensurate with the, with the times of uh, daily sacrifices in the ancient temple. So uh, although they're not all called that, except for one, the morning service is called shacharit, which means basically like dawn, like early in the morning. Okay. 
Uh, and uh, the, um, the afternoon prayer, though, is called mincha, mincha, which does mean the grain offering, uh, which would be like an afternoon offering. And then ma'ariv is in the evening, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's, it's the evening service. So it's kind of interesting that two of them are called like morning and evening, or early in the morning and evening, but one of them is, goes by the name of that uh, offering. And just FYI, if you're wondering, oh, really? So is there like a prayer time at noon? No, uh, the way it works is, and there's a practical reason for this, of course, is that the afternoon and the evening services are right next to each other, right? One immediately following the other, right around dusk, okay? So one is early in the morning, and then the other two are uh, right around dusk uh, to this very day. Uh, and so we see here that Daniel prayed, kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had done so previously. Okay. Now, when we get to chapter 9, which I can't wait, because there's another prayer in chapter 9, uh, which in our Bible studies where we've talked about chapter 9, it's taken us like forever to get through that prayer because it has so much in it. But here it is just very interesting that he prays and he gives thanks uh, to God. And it says, as he had done so previously. So this was Daniel's habit. Uh, Daniel was a man of prayer. And he knew that if he was going to get out of this, this was not time to change the game plan. And so he brings it to God. He brings it to God. And what a great lesson for you and I. That sometimes when we get in a real fix, our first inclination is to fix the fix, you know, rather than bring it to God. Uh, not only that, but sometimes uh, we even try to uh, spiritually fix it in the flesh, you know, rather than bring it to God. And what a great lesson uh, that we have uh, here. Daniel is uh, in really a precarious place, and, uh, and he, brings it, uh, he brings it to God, okay? So notice it says, the, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Uh, very interesting. Uh, really, uh, uh, praying that God would indeed show him mercy. Uh, and so he's, he's coming before God and asking that God would indeed show him mercy, supplication. Okay? All right. And, uh, and so now what's going to happen is, we all know the story, Daniel's going to get thrown into the lion's den. And we'll see what happens. All right? So I'll just say this, that there's another interesting thing here that God does not deliver him from the problem. Daniel has to walk through this problem. Daniel, in other words, after Daniel prays, Daniel does not hear, okay, look, the king made another petition or somehow everything's now okay. No, uh, uh, you don't see that. Daniel has to, so to speak, walk through the fire, as we will see. But, you know, it's important for us, I think, to look at this 
and recognize that we ourselves live in a world of pagan empires and world systems. You know, uh, culturally, in, 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 in one way or another, even, you know, even if you uh, uh, are self-employed at home and never leave your house, you know, uh, you still uh, relate in a variety of ways uh, to the system, to the culture, uh, you know, and, um, and, and so on. Uh, and just the other day, I was talking to somebody about this kind of thing, uh, and uh, we were talking about, actually, a passage in the Brit Hadashah, in Colossians. So, you know, it's very interesting, in Colossians, in the first chapter, in the New Covenant, there's a passage that's really famous, right? It's actually uh, a song or, or poetry uh, about who Yeshua is. And it says something very interesting here. So we read here uh, in verse 13 of Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. So that, and, and, and then, of course, in verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So there's kind of an interesting thing here. It says in verse 16, For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So when you see in heaven and on earth, that means everywhere. It's basically what it means. The sky, from the sky to the ground and everything in between that there is. God made, he made, right? Visible or invisible. And so when it talks about thrones and dominions and rulers or authorities, all things, it's all things visible and invisible. All thrones and all dominions, everything. That is hard for us to get our heads around as human beings. That nothing is outside of God's purview. Nothing is outside of God's hand right? So we might say the most natural question, why would God allow a Nebuchadnezzar or why would God allow, uh, you know, these uh, worldly or foreign empires? Why would God allow uh, evil world leaders? Well, they're simply a reflection of the rebellion uh, of humanity against God. This is what humanity produces, see? Uh, it goes back to the very beginning, that, yes, God has indeed allowed the rebellion. He's given uh, mankind a, a, an opportunity of, of, um, of uh, will, of willfully choosing God or not choosing God within certain boundaries. And we know from the beginning that mankind has chosen rebellion. And that is, in the most elementary or reduced terms, that's why the world's the way it is. Man has rebelled against God. I mean, think about it. Uh, on your own time, uh, go to Galatians chapter 5 and you read about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Read them and ask yourself the question, which one of these groupings really reflects in general the world? Probably it's going to be the deeds of the flesh. But wouldn't it be great if the norm for the way the world is governed and people lead and people treat one another 
Wouldn't it be great if the norm was peace, love, kindness, long-suffering, self-control, and stuff like that? Wouldn't that be great? Except it's not. Uh, And uh, as a result, we have world history uh, as we know it. And so God has allowed it as it's an extension of the uh, of the rebellion of man against uh, of man against a God. Okay, and so uh, uh, there you see. However, but there's a big however. Okay, Uh, if you um, notice first in Colossians chapter one, like I read. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, uh, we, when we embrace Yeshua, we have been delivered from this domain of darkness, this system, the, the attitudes, the, the way it functions, the, you know, the status quo. And, uh, and, and so he's delivered us from that. So when you think about deliverance, that's what deliverance is. We've been delivered from that. And we now belong to the king uh, and function uh, uh, as Messiah followers, uh, reflecting the character and the nature uh, of God. Okay. Now, turn with me to another place, and that is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians and Colossians have a lot in common. <clears throat> And so here we read, and I'm only going to read um, verse 20, 21, 22, and 23, but I guess I should read half of verse 19. The second half of verse 19 of Ephesians 1 says, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, at his right hand in in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion uh, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the believers, to the Messiah followers, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, there's a lot of words there. And we might just say, what does all that mean? Well, it means this. When Yeshua rose from the dead, that was the game changer. When Yeshua rose from the dead, he gained the victory over this world and over sin. Okay? And now we, when we embrace him, uh, we uh, experience the beginnings of this. The forgiveness of sins right? Redemption, and so on. But it says, he put all things in subjection under his feet. And so he won victory over this world. Now, you know, today there's a great uh, illustration of this. Uh, Today is June 6th, right? And so we know uh, that on June 6th, 1944, was D-Day, right? Uh, a, a, uh, uh, an, an absolutely uh, 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 crucial moment uh, in World War II, in the history of World War II, right? Because on that day, the Allies were able to get into France, right? We're able to, in uh, Normandy, right? We're able to get into France. And from my little understanding of history, 
that this was the game changer. This was the beginning of the end. That once the Allies were able to get into France, it was now a matter of time before the war would end. But it didn't end yet. There was still the war. People were still fighting and, 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 and dying. But yet, the die had been cast. And so in a way, when Yeshua rose from the dead, the die has been cast. That the victory belongs to God. He has conquered sin and death, the Bible says. When we embrace the Messiah, we are the visible manifestation of that victory as Messiah followers, the body of Messiah in this world. We are the ones who are charged, right now anyway, with moving forward. Moving forward. Uh, Yeshua said, you know, uh, there in uh, Acts, wait until the gift from the uh, the gift of, from the Father comes, right? The, or the promise of the Father comes, the, the Ruach HaKodesh, and bring this good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, and to the remotest part of the earth. And so we are called to keep moving forward. It's like a, a, the, the mission that God has given to us all. And we want to demonstrate here to our community, to the Jewish community, what it means of life in Messiah. What that means, because the victory has been made. Yes, we, uh, we wait, we wait for the consummation. We wait, we, we pray, come Lord Yeshua, you know, because we still live in this world. But we need to recognize that because the Ruach HaKodesh has been poured out and dwells in us individually and more importantly within us as a body of Messiah, that is the, the beginning of the inheritance, like the down payment of the, full, of the fullness like we read in Ephesians chapter 1. And so this should motivate us for all that, that, uh, that we do. And so like Daniel, we dwell uh, within this world and we face the challenges of this world. We face opposition in this world. There is actually a battle that wages, you know. Certainly there is a spiritual battle that is always uh, uh, waging between light and darkness, God and the enemy. Uh, and it manifests itself in the affairs of this world. Now, when we receive Messiah, we are on God's side, so to speak. And we're called to bring this message, this great news of another way of life, of an alternative to this world, of trusting in God and not in ourselves. We have that opportunity today. We have that opportunity to demonstrate to our community uh, what it means to live by the fruit of the Spirit rather than the deeds of the flesh. And people need to see that so that they can say, wow, that's the kind of life that I want to live. Daniel himself and his friends were called to be a testimony in that world in their world, of that kind of life. The difference is today is that now the promise has come and we have the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God dwelling within us as was promised to our ancestors. And so now we are empowered to live that kind of rich messianic life that our people so dearly hope will eventually come. But you see, the victory has indeed been made. The war is not completely over yet because we all fight 
the enemy in a certain way or have difficulty in our lives and, the, uh, and things of that nature. But we need to remember that the die has been cast, that the victory belongs to God. And he has allowed us to function as uh, his uh, a body, his community in this world. And that was what God had called Daniel and his friends to do. And that is what God calls us to do. It's a call to action. It should motivate us to action. And certainly here, uh, you know, we're looking much forward to the future uh, in a lot of different ways of uh, seeing uh, where Beth Messiah, positioning Beth Messiah for the, the future, you know. Uh, and that means always having a heart for the good news and setting up our, the structures within the congregation and, and uh, inside and out for the propagation of uh, Yeshua to our people uh, to share this uh, great message uh, and to be a place for, uh, for us to be able to come and live in, in such a rich way, uh, 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 participating in just a small portion of the inheritance that God has indeed given to us. And so that is our calling, to live that way, to live that way at home, to live that way in the marketplace, to live uh, that way uh, in our leisure time, and certainly as we come together as a community. And you, when, we, when you came in today, you saw the sign, and you might say, well, what? now what? You know, what is that? Well, that's, a, that's a, a challenge to us, right? If not us, who? And if not now, when? And so may this be a call to action, a call to arms, so to speak. And we know that the word of God is indeed the sword of the Spirit. And so let's pray. Lord God, thank you that uh, you have not left us sort of dangling in the wind. But Lord, we thank you for the Ruach HaKodesh who indwells us. We thank you, God, that we live in a community that, that... demonstrates life and Messiah in this way. Lord, may we remember that the resurrection of Yeshua made all the difference in the world. And as we uh, identify with him, and as we identify with that resurrection, as we live that way, uh, Lord, we pray, God, uh, that we would make a difference in this world. God, we pray, uh, Lord, that no matter what goes on in our lives, no matter what uh, curveballs, whatever right hooks and left jabs uh, uh, come our way, that we might run to you in prayer. Lord, may we not use as a barometer our, the comfort level of our lives to determine your blessing or the comfort level of our lives to determine whether, whether uh, we're on the right path or not. But Lord, may we realize we live in this world like Daniel lived. And there's always going to be some form on some level of opposition until the day comes when your kingdom is literally manifested uh, in this world. But right now, Lord, we know that your kingdom is, in a sense, invisible. But we are the visible, we are the, the visible proof of that. Lord, we pray that we would be a good testimony of your kingship, of, of your dominion, and of your authority. Lord, and may we rest in it, and may we find our peace in it, and our love, and our long-suffering, and our self-control in it, Lord. 
And uh, God, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to serve in this way. And we do look forward to that day of a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you, Lord, for the great hope we have and the great calling you've given us in this life. We pray in Yeshua's name.